Hey, welcome to the Dossier Podcast. This is Jordan Schachtel, the publisher of the Dossier. Today we are going to talk about the dispute between Russia and Ukraine and the continually elevating probability for World War III. Um, this is the biggest geopolitical issue of 2022 and the prospects for greater entanglement seem to be continually accelerating so i wanted to discuss um both like the 30,000 foot view of this the direct dispute between the two parties and why i think the NATO, NATO powers and the United States seem, there are many reasons why they seem hell-bent on getting involved in this, what I think of as an inner Slavic conflict that should stay between two parties. Um, so let's talk about the macro picture first and foremost. We are in the middle of an economic global recession um, which was caused by our own central banks our own monetary policy largely caused by the money printing fiasco trillions and trillions of dollars printed in the past few years with no productivity attached to it devaluing the assets of the 99 percent for the ruling class, which has accumulated most of the money that was printed. So while everyone's dollars and, and, and yen and euros were devalued, the people in charge accumulated enough to stay on top of the hierarchy. But people are really struggling right now. And just like how COVID mania seemed to be a scapegoat for everything, it appears that the Biden administration in particular loves blaming everything on Putin. Gas prices, economy, uh, military readiness, uh, everything under the sun. Putin can be blamed for it, especially when it comes to our foreign relationships, foreign affairs. Um, if something diplomatically goes wrong, it's Putin's fault. So that's kind of like the stage that we're setting right now is we have a lot of issues in the United States of America, but you know, I'm in I'm in the US, so I talk about this from a US centric perspective. But if you're in Europe or elsewhere, you have a very similar situation in your country. So the past couple weeks in the dispute between Russia and Ukraine, whether you want to call it a civil war, an inner Slavic con conflict, um a, a, a NATO powers versus Russia with using Ukraine as a proxy war. I think there's truth to a lot of those descriptions. And the last couple of weeks, we've seen um, a, a hotly contested conflict and Russia decided to mobilize their reserves I think in order to make the next move, which is to um, they want to annex 
areas of eastern Ukraine where the population is seemingly wanting to or indifferent about Ukraine or many people want to become part of Russia. And this is largely due to historical factors. Um, most people who live in those areas of eastern Ukraine trace their heritage back to the Ru Russia or a Russian empire. Um, and there were referendums held in these territories. And Russia says that these people want to become part of Russia. And it's easy to dismiss that because, you know, first the Western press is reporting that this was a, a hostile um, referendum. However, we saw what happened in Crimea when the Russians annexed Crimea. And yes, they did um, kick out people from Crimea that may have been more pro-Ukraine. But by and large, the vast majority of the population of Crimea wanted to become part of Russia. And it reflected it in uh, independent observations of the referendum. And when they talk about it today, over 90% of the people that live in Crimea want to stay a part of Russia. So things are a lot more complicated than the BBC and the Washington Post are letting on right now. And if we believe in the right to sovereignty, the right to self-determination, you know, all these democracy advocates that say, if the people vote for it, then you have to become part of this country. It seems to be a little hypocritical. And sure, I'm sure there were situations where people were coerced to vote one way or another. But it seems that there's plenty of evidence that these people want to become part of Russia. Um, and you can have a debate over whether it's fair, um, what it takes to secede, the reality of geopolitical power struggles and what that means for the sovereignty of people within nations. But again, we're talking about very specific regions in eastern Ukraine where it is very clear that the population, a significant percentage of the population identifies with the Russians. And I think this is an issue for Russia and Ukraine specifically to litigate, to engage in talks about the future of these territories. Russia's claim is that these areas are being used by Western forces as the front of a NATO force that is encroaching upon their territorial sovereignty. Ukraine says this is the rightful sovereign state. This is part of the rightful sovereign state of Ukraine, and Russia shouldn't take it. And I think that there's legitimate positions on both sides. But again, we have to wake up to the reality that we are increasingly entering a multipolar world. There is no role for a world police in monitoring territorial disputes between two Slavic peoples with shared heritage. And whether you like it or not, the short-term and long-term future 
of our geopolitical environment is going to involve powerful actors taking advantage of a window as we move into this multipolar geopolitical environment and kind of pressing their will onto smaller sovereigns. So what exactly should the United States risk to do about this? The reality is that we're in no position to risk anything to do about this. And in fact, you enter very murky waters when you take one side entirely of these territorial disputes. This should be purely a dispute between a diplomatic discussion between Russia and Ukraine. And instead of this, here's what's happened just this morning. Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, decided to apply in an expedited fashion for NATO membership. And and what does NATO membership mean? NATO membership uh, is a a non-starter for Putin because Russia always wanted Ukraine as a buffer country you know that didn't strongly take sides between the west between uh, the west and Russia and for the most part western um, the the western political leadership very much agreed with this position that Ukraine should be a buffer state Um, And that it's important not to expand NATO outwards all the way to Russia's doorstep. Of course, we kind of just like ignored this over the last 20 years. But now we're in a position where Ukraine is trying to get into NATO specifically to commence World War III. That is the only reason why the Zelensky-led government is applying for NATO is that I think they're in such a bad position right now because they've totally blown up their diplomatic ties with Russia that they think this the, the Zelensky-led government thinks that the only way that they're going to stay in power is with the force of NATO behind them. Um, and again, the Zelensky action comes in response to Russia recognizing the annexation of these several territories or or the independence of these several territories after this contested referendum. And and it is my view just simply that it would be absolutely insane. um, And I think it's common sense to give NATO membership to Ukraine at this point. It would inevitably lead to World War III. And we're already so far deep into this conflict, the United States has allocated almost $100 billion to the propping up the uh, Zelensky regime in Kiev. It's so preposterous right now that we are getting closer and closer to fighting World War III because of a territorial dispute 5,000 miles away from our Atlantic shores. This has gotten so out of hand. And of course, diplomacy is the answer here. Um, I don't like that Putin is talking about nuclear weapons. I don't like that Zelensky is trying to 
get us the Zelensky strategy since the beginning um, in my view has been to try to either trick coerce the West into this war and as a wartime leader you need to make all of these calculations and I, I think both sides have engaged in incredible deceit disinformation Neither side is really to be trusted here. And when we look at this from our multipolar lens, what exactly do you think America's role is going to be here? Do you think that it is righteous for the United States military to have troops on the border between Russia and Ukraine? And what exactly are you willing to sacrifice so that the people of Donetsk can be forced into being a part of Ukraine again. I mean, we're talking about a, a region that should that has a, a shared heritage with the Russians, and some points of it also traces back to um, the Western Ukrainian roots. But this is insane. It, it, it's just utterly insane what we're dealing with right now. That that we're facing the prospect for nuclear warfare. And I think the Biden administration is encouraging this because one, there's an election coming up, so they need an enemy. And the enemy can't be the virus anymore because people are bored of the virus. So the, the, our ruling class thinks that World War III is a sacrifice worth making as long as they can stay in charge. Nobody should support Ukraine's ascension into NATO. It would be insane. It, it is, it, you immediately enter World War III because the US is then obligated to defend Ukraine through Article 5 of NATO. Earlier, the Biden administration had taken the wise position of requesting that Ukraine did not enter. NATO or apply to enter NATO. I don't know what has happened since this morning when Zelensky formally applied. Um, and again, Zelensky is doing this as part of a political tactic to reply to the annexation of parts of Ukraine. And I'm not sure exactly what the legal dynamics here, because it seems that Putin wants to recognize their independence and then probably later, at a later date, formally annex the territories. But it's clear here, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the world. And sometimes there are no good answers. And sometimes the best course of action is to recognize that you can't save the world. Uh, I would like everyone to have the opportunity to be free and live wherever they want and choose the government that they want. Um, but sometimes we can't get everything that we want. <laughs> and while I am obviously not a fan of the fact that Moscow has decided to mobilize its reserves, and I think specifically to take over and secure these regions for their territorial defense 
so that Russia can just kind of like push its boundary into this area. But what exactly is the alternative? The U.S. has basically dismantled a significant portion of its military and sent all of these weapons to Ukraine. Um, I can just read off for you, if you want me to pull it up real quick, all of this stuff that the Pentagon has sent over. They, they released this um, yesterday. So the Pentagon estimates that the U.S. military... And by the way, this stuff is not like coming from Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed. This is the stuff that was in the possession of our active duty military and has now been sent to Ukraine already. So the U.S. security assistance to Ukraine includes, again, this is from the Pentagon, 8,500 Javelin anti-armor systems, 1,400 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, thousands of UAVs, millions of artillery rounds, 1,500 tow missile systems, 20 helicopters, 10,000 grenade launchers, 60 million rounds of small arms ammunition, um, 50 counter artillery radars, all kinds of defense systems, radar systems, missile systems, um, 18 patrol boats, 100 armored medical treatment vehicles, thousands of C4, Claymore explosives, night vision devices, laser rangefinders. The U.S. is giving everything in our arsenal to Ukraine. And for me, it's already beyond what, what the U.S. military should be doing to prop up what's, what is a ridiculously corrupt government in Kiev. Look no further than them appointing Hunter Biden to the state energy company on it with a no-show job. The energy expert, Hunter Biden. This, it would be one thing, and I still wouldn't support this argument if Ukraine was like this robust form of um, a classical liberal government. But this is the issue at hand. What we're looking at, Ukraine is really just... In, in my view, it's a, it's a smaller Russia, and this their their systems of governance are are similar. The idea that this is some kind of like great fight between it, there are so many false narratives in this country in this conflict, and the biggest is that this is some kind of great battle between Western liberalism and Russian imperialism. This is absolute nonsense. Um, the, the idea that that Russia which has struggled to separate itself from you know, 20 miles from its border, is going to go through Europe and conquer the entirety of Europe. Is, it's, it's fantasy fiction. Um, the idea that Putin is like some kind of Hitler-like figure. Ridiculous. Russia has very, whether you like Russia or not, they've had very clear goals since the beginning. They want to restore that buffer zone. And uh, uh, it's not worth fighting World War III over Russia's intention to restore that buffer zone. And yes, it involves military conflict. And yes, lots of people have lost their lives fighting this. And I think that there are surely heroes of this conflict who decided to defend their lands 
But you know, the United States is not in a position to save everyone. And again, there's a Western, significant Western involvement in fomenting this crisis. We can't ignore the fact that, that uh, NATO has expanded to Russia's doorstep and simply write that off. But again, the idea that, that if, because Russia annexed areas where Russian speakers, Russian ethnics, Russian natives live, that they're somehow going to be marching into Spain soon with a depreciated force is preposterous. We should have nothing to do with this conflict. And now we're talking about trying to avoid World War III. It's pretty incredible. It's, um, it's very alarming. But again, we need to get a sense of like what can be accomplished without incredible collateral damage. So I'll leave it at that. And um, would be happy to hear your thoughts in the comments. But the, certainly Donetsk is not, fight, is not worth fighting World War III over for our ruling class to be able to hold um, what exactly is the ideology of a ruling class. Uh, it's very convoluted. Um, I, I, I think that the idea that, that once again, the, the idea that one side stands for <laughs> liberalism, freedom and democracy, the side that, that jails, uh, both sides seem to love jailing political protesters. And um, it, it's really, in my view, two sides of the same coin. And my opinion at the beginning of this conflict was that regardless of what color these flags are, whether they're blue, white, and red, or yellow and blue, it, the quality of life under Russian governance or Ukrainian governments won't really change dramatically. We, these are really two shades of gray. There is no Western liberalism, freedom versus tyranny. It's a completely false dichotomy. So is it worth fighting World War III over not having blue and yellow flags change to Russian flags? Because that's really all that will happen is that a different set of rulers will be in control of these areas if Russia is allowed to um, advance and it seems that they're certainly going to do so so do we want to fight thermonuclear with russia over the territorial integrity of donetsk um, i certainly don't think so and I, I hope that you agree with me